Well, good morning. Bill is away. When the cat's away, the mice can play. <laughs> so now I'm going to tell you what I really think. <laughs> you know, last week, Bill uh, preached a sermon, and he said a terrible, terrible thing. I don't know if you caught it, but boy, it, it grabbed my attention. Terrible, terrible thing. Awful. He said... He said that when you tithe, when you are faithful and, and give to God, um, you can't necessarily expect that you're going to get a kickback in return. Now, I might not have the phrasing quite right, but I think that's the general idea. And I'm appalled. I mean, aren't you? It, it stopped me from going straight from the church to the convenience store to get my lottery ticket so that I could get my, my win. Because, golly, that means I can't anticipate that if I do right by God, He's going to do right by me. That is a terrible idea. Terrible. It is a terrible, awful, true idea. And it's one of the dirty little secrets about Christianity. And <laughs> I mean, think about the idea that comes from so many other sources besides Bill, which says something like this. If you give to God, you will be rewarded. If you do good things, you will be rewarded. There's a quid pro quo. I bless God, He blesses me. And there's some basis for that. If we look in Scripture, if we look at the book of Proverbs, uh, for instance, it kind of picks up that idea. and says, well, if you do right, you will be rewarded. And if you do wrong, you'll be punished. So do right. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Makes sense in a black and white sort of world. But then there's this other side of things that follows right on the heels of Proverbs. It's the book of Ecclesiastes, which says something different. More like what Bill said last week. The writer of Ecclesiastes says something like this. I did right, and I got punished. I look around and I see people who do wrong. They seem to get rewarded. This is unfair. I tried harder. I did well, and the more I did, the less I got. And at the end of the day, I realized that everything's pointless, hopeless, vanity, dust in the wind. And there you have the Gospel presented to us backwards. Because, I don't know about you, but for me it creates a crisis. It creates a, a disturbance in my heart because I don't want to suffer. I want to succeed. I want to thrive. And I want to figure out how to succeed and thrive. I don't want to be told that if I do the right thing, I'll suffer in return. And that if I do the wrong thing, well, it's all dust in the wind anyway, so what matters? And so, what do I do with something like that? What do you do with something like that? Well, 
I like to go back to Proverbs and say, well, let's just go back to that comfortable reality. But I don't know about you, but as soon as I walk out that door, I live in an Ecclesiastes world. I don't live in a Proverbs kind of world. I would like to turn to God and have some reassurance that by His divine power, He will create this sort of Proverbs bubble around me. And maybe the rest of the world will live like Ecclesiastes, but I get to live like the book of Proverbs because I know Jesus. But then comes somebody like Bill. And he says, there's no bubble. There's no bubble. There's no Proverbs bubble that you get to live in. If you are faithful to God, that is no promise that life is going to go well for you. And so, the crisis. What do I do with that? What is the point of following Jesus then? What's the value of that? If I'm not going to have some peace, if I'm not going to have some joy, if I'm not going to win the lottery, then what's the point of following Jesus? Well, I actually struggled with that. Throughout the years, I remember one time when that struggle was very, very pronounced. And things were not going well. In fact, they were going very painfully. And I went to some people that I trusted very much and I sought prayer. And I was hoping, again, to get that Proverbs bubble back. But it didn't happen. But they also did not propose that everything ends with the Ecclesiastes world. I didn't have to do what the existentialists do and just simply embrace the misery of it all and try and concoct something pleasant to experience along the way to death. So, there was something else. And I was missing it. And I realized in that prayer and in that conversation that I needed it. And I also began to realize that this that I needed was actually a real treasure. And that if I could gain it, why it was better than what the Proverbs bubble could bring me. And it went something like this. The person I was talking to, they said, Craig, you're struggling. You're suffering. I said, yes, I am. She said, you, you would like to be free from that. Yes, I would. Think about St. Paul. What was his life like? And I thought, oh, darn it. <laughs> Please don't tell me that I'm going to be like St. Paul. Because, my gosh, and I went through the litany. He was beaten. He was stoned. And that didn't mean smoking. It meant he was <laughs> hit with rocks until they thought he was dead and they left him. He was thrown into prison. He suffered in countless ways. And this person said, yes, that is correct. And then she said, what was it like for him on the inside? I thought about it. Oh, well, sometimes he seemed emotionally kind of low or lonely and things like that, but you know, Let's see, when he was in prison, what did he do? What did he do? He praised God. That's right. 
When he was suffering, what did he do next? When he was thrown out of a city, what did he do next? He went right back in. And he didn't seem miserable when he did it. He was still aching from the wounds, but on the inside there was something else going on. The person I was talking to, they said, that's right. They said, see, Craig, Paul suffered on the outside, but on the inside, God did a transforming work. And he did not suffer on the inside, not in the core of his soul. Oh, he may have struggled emotionally. He may have felt some sadness and some loneliness. He felt some grief, all of those sorts of things. But it didn't break him, right? It didn't destroy him. Instead, what came out of that was praise. What came out of that was expressions of joy. Peace. Jesus talks about a peace that passes understanding. Meaning it's a peace that doesn't make sense. Meaning there's no reason in this world why you would have peace. But when you have His peace, you have peace. Regardless of what's happening. And everyone around you will say, well, why, why are you at peace? You say, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. But I am. I'm okay. Deep down inside, I am okay. They pointed out to me this fact about Paul. And we see it today as he writes about his thorn in the flesh. He said it was a messenger of Satan, so he was under no delusions about the nature of this suffering. It was downright awful, right? Anyone know what that thorn in the flesh was? Nobody knows. I have a theory. I think it was a thorn in his flesh. (laughs) But actually, I don't know. Nobody knows. And I think it's helpful because it allows us to then see our own experiences of suffering through Paul's experience of suffering. And what does he do with that thorn? What does he do first? He prays. He prays. Scripture says he prayed three times, which I think is a decorous way of saying he prayed a lot. He persisted in his prayer. God, set me free from this. Release me from this suffering. Please. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed until he got an answer. And what was the answer? A? My grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I am made strong. And what came out of Paul at that point? Was it shaking his fist at God saying, darn you? He celebrated. What arose out of him was praise. What we have at the end of that passage is a doxology. A celebration of God. How do you get there? We see the same thing incredibly with Job. Job also, at the end of his suffering, when God revealed himself, worshipped. He also entered into that doxology. And you know, I don't know about you, but for me, I do not do that unless it is real in times of suffering. 
I don't put on a smiley face and act decorous at a time of suffering. No, it's either there or it isn't. And for these guys, it was there. Out came the praise. Out came the doxology. What on earth had happened? What had happened was what the person I was praying with on that day many years ago was addressing with me. She said, God wants to transform what's on the inside so that you cannot be destroyed on the inside. God never promised you a happy life on the outside. He said, in this world there will be troubles. The book of Ecclesiastes is in the Bible for a reason. It describes intractable suffering. And it's a very practical book. Those things are true in this world. But that's all on the outside. That is skin deep. But this person pointed out to me, Craig, you are suffering on the outside and on the inside. That is not what God intends for you. And it was like a flash of light. And I realized, my gosh, she was right. I had accepted something that I didn't need to accept. I had accepted that it would be okay and that God approved of it for me to be crushed in my spirit, for me to have a broken heart, to be destroyed on the inside by the things that beset me on the outside. And this person thankfully pointed out to me that is not true. That is not what God intends. The invitation of Jesus is to come to Him with our suffering. Come to me, you who are weary and who are heavy laden. And what? I will give you rest. He didn't say, I will send you back to be more disciplined and effective in living, and then you'll be at rest. He didn't say, I will send you away empty-handed. He didn't say, I'll send you away with a get tough message. He didn't say, I will send you away with a sort of ethereal promise that someday in the by and by, you'll be with Jesus in the sky and then it will all be better. No, He said, I will give you rest. Jesus will give you rest. Wow. That's different. If we go back to Bill's comment last Sunday, that awful, terrible, truthful comment, we tithe, we give, we are faithful to Jesus, we suffer, but beyond that experience, is something else that only Jesus can give. Rest. Peace that passes understanding. That causes you to express doxology, praise, even in a time of suffering, to be able to say, it is well with my soul. Because Jesus has transformed me on the inside. He has either taken my wounds and healed them, or, as He did with Paul, He has taken my wounds and sanctified them so that they are no longer instruments of death, but
that even the wounds themselves are instruments of life. Sanctified wounds. Jesus had those wounds. He still does. He died by wounds inflicted on his body. When he was resurrected, what was evidence of who he was? The wounds. He still has them. But they are no longer instruments of death, right? No longer instruments of death. They are now instruments of life. So when he presented himself to Thomas, who was doubting, Thomas did not flee in horror as all the disciples did when Jesus died by those wounds. Instead, what did he do? He worshipped my Lord and my God. He saw God enfleshed. Not because the wounds were erased, but because they were sanctified. And now they are instruments of glory. What would it be like for your wounds to become instruments of glory? Sometimes God sets us free from our wounds. Sometimes God says to the lame man, stand up and walk. And to the blind woman, open your eyes and see. And to the orphaned child, here is your parent. And to the grieving woman, here is your son. Sometimes God does that. Not always. The other thing He does with our wounds is sanctify them. So if He's not going to just simply release you from your wounds, then I will guarantee you He wants to sanctify those wounds so that you can run the race and not crawl and drag yourself down the road. God wants to sanctify those wounds so that whatever is on the inside is holy. Whatever is on the inside is a doxology of praise. Because Satan has not won, but Jesus has overcome the power of sin and death within you. And the kingdom itself is seated right there. That was a revelation to me years ago. And so when I heard Bill talk as he did this past Sunday, it reminded me of that. If God is not going to enrich us based on our faithfulness and give us lots of money, what's He going to do? He's going to enrich us on the inside. He's going to transform us. So that though we live in utter and complete poverty in this world, nevertheless, it is well with my soul. I am at peace in Jesus and I am full of joy. And I will say this. Please don't stop pressing in to Jesus until He accomplishes that work. If you have wounds in your heart, if you have issues that continue to break you, if there are things that undermine your life, that break your spirit and break your faith, I don't care what they are. They can be giant things as far as this world is concerned, or they could be minutia as far as this world is concerned. But if your spirit breaks, then that is something not to just simply acquiesce to and say, oh well, I'm glad that Jesus loves me anyway. 
No. Press in. Press in to Jesus. Do as Jacob did. Do not quit wrestling until God blesses you. Until He either heals that wound or sanctifies it. Because Jesus does not intend for you to be broken on the inside and on the out. Press in. How do you do it? You do it in prayer. You do it in community. Don't do it alone. Someone needs to be with you on that journey. Just as someone was for me years ago when that reality struck me. It came through the words of a faithful Christian who could bring light into my darkness and speak the truth of God there. And to be a companion in prayer and in my journey. You need that too. It comes through community and it comes through prayer. And if you don't know how to pray about it, well, there's probably no better prayer than what we have from our music this morning. So take your music sheet with you and turn that last song into a prayer. Jesus, you call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail, and there I find you. Jesus, I find you in the mystery. I may not find cash. I may not find physical health. I may not find a promotion or a new job. I might not find my children miraculously transformed into little saints. Or my spouse transformed into a wonderful, magnificent person. Well, mine is, but you know. I know things can be thrown even from the back of the church and hit someone right in the head. (laughs) I may not find all those things out there, but Jesus, I will find you in the mystery. And in oceans deep, my faith will stand. Jesus, I call upon your name. I keep my eyes above the waves when oceans rise. My soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, and you are mine. Amen.